most people wouldn't go to two or three different churches on a Sunday morning. They would have their church and they would just go to that one place. But here there's this community that exists. It's that open door that you mentioned. It's there 24 seven and it's not just the prayer room. It's, it's all of it. The whole ministry is there. Welcome to the Level 2 Podcast. The Level 2 Podcast this is the very inaugural episode. This is the first ever episode. This is a monthly podcast airing here on the Checkpoint Church Podcast Hub, where we're going to feature two or three of our Level 2 members. Level 2 members are folks that have stepped up within our community and have agreed to serve Checkpoint Church instead of just being served by Checkpoint Church. Each episode of the show is going to tackle some kind of central question that will kind of shape our conversation, but we're also going to let it be a little bit loosey-goosey and not stick too directly to one central theme or idea. So with that, we're going to go ahead and say that today's topic is, what is a nerd church? Checkpoint Church claims to be the church for nerds, geeks, and gamers. There are quite a few of them out there, quite a few things like this happening out there. So with this new burgeoning movement, we're going to talk about what exactly is a nerd church. But before we get into that, we have to introduce our two level two members. So we have Perspectus and Splash Force are their usernames. I'll let them choose whether or not to introduce themselves by first name, or if they want to go by username or anything else, we'll figure that out. So first up, we'll have a Perspectus. Please introduce yourself. Let us know who you are and what you're about. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. Uh, yeah. Perspectus or Perry or Ryan, depending on when you met me in the Discord. I've been with Checkpoint, I guess it's a little over a year, almost a year and a half now, something like that. I think it was like February, 2021 or something like that. I joined, and I don't know, in terms of like, I don't know what flavor of nerd am I, it's potpourri, <laughs> everything, yeah, a little, little bit of manga, a little bit of anime, a little bit of games, a little bit of random other stuff, but yeah, love, loving the community here. Yeah. Slowly, but surely I'm, I am bringing Perspectus back into the anime world after, after <laughs> a, a brief retiring away from it. And uh, happy to have another resident weeb in these parts, for sure. All right, Splash Force. All right, yeah, I'm Splash Force. You can call me that. I'm into, like, everything. Into all of it. You are, as far as I know, what makes you super unique is that you are the only PvP Minecrafter that I personally know. I feel yes. like that's a, that's a that niche in and of itself. So you are the Minecraft PvP person. With that, let us think about a question just to get us to know each other a little bit better. What is the very first console that you ever were given? I guess I could say owned, but I feel like that that's a weird thing. Of did you, Do you own it if you get it from your parents? Or what if it's like your siblings or whatever it may be? What was the first console you were given that at least felt like it was joint ownership with siblings? Even? Yeah, for me, it was the OG Game Boy. It was my dad's the big, chunky gray brick but yeah we we my brother and i shared that it was mostly me i think at first because it was probably my brother might have been like two or three maybe when we got that handed to us but that's what i played my very first pokemon on and also like castlevania and way too much tetris yeah i think tetris was definitely the epitome there that was that's as for me i always play the pokemon games but tetris was definitely like one of those things that you think of whenever you think of the game boy splash what about you all right I'm about to make you guys feel really old. Uh, yeah, that's why I asked this question uh, into this particular my, duo here. My first system was the Wii U. The Wii U. Man, I didn't even have a Wii U. I was already out of video games by the time the Wii U came around, and then I got back into it years later. But yeah, you got to experience wireless tech, your very first game console. That's insane. My first well, came not too far after Perry's there with the, with the Game Boy Color. But yeah, Wii U. I totally bypassed over even. Wait, wait, are we counting handhelds? Because I think I had a 3DS first. A 3DS. Even still. Yeah. Yeah. Even still. I, that's another one I bypassed. <laughs> so yeah, you pretty much came into yeah. gaming the, as soon as I left. And then yeah. now now I'm back into it and getting into the, the flow of things. But I remember that was like the first, that was the first console that I skipped was the Wii. Where I had, I had the Wii, I had the PS2, and it just fell out of it. I got, I got the DS, I got the DS Lite. I guess I never got the DSi. I don't know. That just felt like at that point, Nintendo was just kind of like pulling out all the stops and was like, we're going to, we're going to just make every version of the DS imaginable. And uh, I just, I couldn't afford another DS that did the exact same thing. So did anybody get the DSi? I don't know. I don't know. Some, some folks clearly did because they just kept doing it with the, when they came up with the three, three DS and then the two DS and then the XL I, yeah, there are all these sorts of things. Nintendo loves to come up with adjustments to their consoles. I've been really surprised there's only been one different version of the Switch with the OLED. I, I half expected them. Well, no, that's not true. There was and, the and Switch the Lite. Lite. Yeah, yeah so they've the already Lite. had two. Yeah. That's still, that's a lot, but it's not as many as I, I thought they might have done by now. Yeah. So all, all Nintendo, at least. That makes me happy that we're all Nintendo and as our first console. 
There's something about it. That's something that I've noticed with Checkpoint in particular is the reality of a nerd church is whenever I first got started, I had to really hone in on a year because if I didn't, the concept of nerddom spans generations. It really is a hobby and a passion that kind of really goes back as far as we can think of back to, you know, people playing war games in their basement and stuff like that. And then as modern as whatever you're nerdy on, on TikTok right now, like it's, it's all across the gamut and you have no idea who's nerdy where and with what. So whenever we started to plan a nerd church, that was our big question of what does it look like for us to reach as many people as we can? We knew we had to focus on just one group, but how do we make sure we include everybody in the group? Everybody needs to be invited in some way, shape, or form. But when you start to really explore the possibilities of what does everyone mean when you think of the word nerd, it became very difficult to pin down exactly what a nerd was. And so maybe that's a good thing for us to start on here as we expound on this idea of what is a nerd church. Maybe before we attribute the word church to it, let's explore what is a nerd. Let's define nerddom and what does it mean to be a nerd? So do either of you have any like insight? What does it mean to you to be a nerd personally? How do you identify as a nerd? Do you identify as a nerd? Or are you like, heck no, I'm here for the geeks, man. I'm not a nerd at all. Like what, what kind of perspective do you bring to that. Do you consider yourself a nerd, a geek, a gamer, all three? And and what how would you expand that definition? I feel like I identify more as a geek rather than a nerd, just because my I personally lean more towards like superheroes rather than like Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. Yeah, it's one of those things of Urkel was a nerd, right? And it's like, yeah. you know, do I have to wear suspenders to be a nerd? Are suspenders <laughs> cool? I don't know if suspenders are cool. I'm out on that. I think they aren't cool right now, but there may very well have been a phase where they were pretty cool there. I feel like nerd and geek, I, the, the distinction I always remember hearing growing up, which I don't know if there's any validity to this or if this is just people making stuff up, but nerd was like somebody who was like, I don't know, like nerd was always something that was associated with being like kind of brainy. It wasn't necessarily about just the things you were into, but just sort of the general air of it. So like the Urkel thing you just mentioned, Nate. Yeah, Urkel's definitely a nerd. He's got the air of nerd. But you could be a geek about certain things like you could be like a star wars geek like really into star wars all the lore all the books all the figurines that was a distinct thing from being a nerd like you could be both but like you could also be one or the other and like you could be a nerd without being into a specific property or thing i don't know if that's really how it works or if that's just like a definition that somebody came up with at some point that i just am parroting now but that was always like how i remember hearing it and i don't know i'm probably more nerd but also kind of geek about certain things and i i hesitate to call myself a gamer because i don't play nearly enough or well enough to, to give myself that title but i like well, what, i do like gaming what i think is so interesting is for me all three of the terms nerd geek and gamer they all have like the same root and i didn't even really discover it until hector mirai and uh, the faith and fandom stuff and it's that word it's the latter word there it's the fandom aspect. It's the fact that whether you're a nerd, whether you're a geek, whether you're a gamer, whatever word you attribute to yourself, what kind of unites us is that we're all fanatical about something. Like, I think that's what makes a Bible nerd, right? It's somebody that nerds mm. out. It's somebody that gets fascinated by and fanaticizes the idea of the Bible. And so we have all these things that we hyper-focus on. And so for me, I would say, even if you don't define yourself as a gamer particularly, right, you are a nerd about gaming. It takes a it takes a nerd to listen to a podcast like the Eggplant Podcast, which thanks again for turning me on to that podcast and making me listen to the entire thing over the course of two weeks. But I didn't make that, you. <laughs> that's a you did you made it. you forced me you forced me I couldn't not do it. My weakness is podcasts, and so the whole idea of you are a nerd for games, and that makes you almost question your like gamerness, but at the same time you're un unequivocally a nerd in that area, right? And I think that's super interesting of what what defines our level of fascination in something is to me what defines nerddom. So I've tried to explain to my wife forever because whenever we first got started, she was like, well, I'm not a nerd. Like you're starting this church, but I'm not going to be welcome there. And I was like, well, of course you are. You are a nerd. At the time, it may have been more for Property Brothers. She was kind of a nerd for HGTV. And that's a, that's a thing to nerd out about. I mean, people that talk so much about HGTV, they are nerds, whether they believe it or not. So when we define nerddom, for me, I think that like less is more, less definition, more broad. And so I've defined all of them as just being like people who are fanatical over something. People that really like or have a passion for things is how I kind of loosely 
define nerddom. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, it makes sense. If you're like really, really into something, you can define yourself as a nerd of that that specific category. Right. Yeah. That that's that's at least how I've been able to see it after a couple of years of trying to work through this terminology. Like I think my grandmother would be offended by the fact that I call myself a nerd, but I think we've reclaimed that word as a, as a kind of defining characteristic of those who are fans of something. And we're in a fanatic culture, right? We're we're doing a thing that is very much with the times. Like we are we are passionate about things and there are people that are passionate about things. Comic-Con is a huge inspiration behind why Checkpoint Church ever happened. And it was something that allowed for us to people were flocking to places where they could nerd or geek out about their favorite fandoms in a literally like ecclesial church setting. Like they were going to Comic-Cons like it was their their church gathering, like it was their Mecca. And so we wanted to touch on that and be like, okay, so this is, we need to take that energy, we need to take that excitement, and we need to either learn from it or lean into it and see what we are able to contribute to this culture or this culture is able to contribute to us as a church in existence. And so that brings us on to what it looks like to connect these two things together. So one of our major goals at Checkpoint is to connect faith and fandom. And I think that's the goal that I've seen in most nerd churches, whether it be God Squad or whether it be Love Thy Nerd, or I don't think they would define themselves as a church, but nevertheless, as a nerd community building, we are we are actively working on connecting faith and fandom. So what does that look like in your lives? How have you either seen that done well or not so well, or what, what would y'all have to contribute to the idea of connecting faith and fandom? I mean, one of my first like good experiences with it growing up was I had gotten involved in, it was actually the first, I guess technically the second Methodist church I'd been at because I grew up in a Baptist church and then was in and out of like various different denominational churches for a while until I ended up actually the church that my wife grew up in. But I got invited into her youth group at the time when we were, I guess, in high school. And the youth pastor there, this guy, Reverend Brian Neville out of the Greater New Jersey Conference here, and he was at the time just like a fantastic youth preacher and youth leader. And I remember we had done a retreat with a bunch of other youth groups where a bunch of us got together. It was sort of like a little, almost like a little conference. They had different classes you would take throughout a weekend. And he taught a class on one, two classes, one of which was finding God in like the top 20 billboard songs. Mm -hmm. which I thought was really fun because it was like trying to pick apart like very secular music and a sort of one of the spiritual themes in there. But the one that really stuck with me and probably in a lot of ways is why I ended up at a nerd church is uh, he did one on Avatar The Last Airbender and the spirituality of that series, which I think at the time wasn't even done yet. I think it was still in like its second season or something, but like he did this whole like dissection of the entire like ethos of the series and what what it was about and what all the characters represented and portrayed it in, in a from a christian lens and that was just a really interesting thing to do because i'd never really done that i mean maybe loosely or like unintentionally looked at popular media from like a christian lens like oh i can see how there's like themes in that i think back to the movie contact like there's definitely some religious themes in that movie right but like when I think to that experience, it was like, oh, wow, this is actually like a study of something that's not Christian-centered, but it's definitely a an activity that's like a religious activity to go through and do this. And I just remember that being a really fascinating, fun experience to just like something I knew I was interested in and passionate about at the time and be able to put that lens over it and examine it there and not have it take away from enjoying that thing. Like I still love avatar still can holds up to this day i feel like in a lot of ways but also now i have this additional layer of stuff that i can appreciate about it from a religious aspect which i think is really cool. yeah i mean one thing that we kind of continually find through our nerdy sermons and the stuff that we work through is it doesn't take long <laughs> like, like you really don't have to dive in too deep to any of the popular media like tropes are what tropes are and they're going to be in and throughout and stories are echo themselves we find a lot of very familiar stories that happen to continue popping up. I can't tell you how many times I'll be like playing a video game or something and they'll just like randomly, like I'll be like playing like Danganronpa or something and they'll randomly be like, and then the story of Noah. 
And I'll be like, what are you talking about? Why are we throwing Noah in here randomly? But we have to remember that whether you're a Christian or not, anyone that creates is influenced by the Bible, right? And by some by some means to an end where we're influenced by the Bible directly or indirectly by the things that we've been taught and that we've learned as our moral code. And so I think that's something also that we'll discover some people are better than others at hiding it. But at the end of the day, we will continue to find those same themes because they're they're truths that we've been taught that we're then finding in our popular media and in our culture that we're consuming anyway. So yeah, I think it's there. It's already there and we're just happening to stumble upon how it already what about you, Splash? Any way that you've seen Faith and Fandom connect? Not before Checkpoint, really. It was never really, yes. That, that never really happened. Sure. And so we can talk about how Checkpoint does that. We we started at the very beginning, we were just going to do Twitch streams. We didn't know exactly what it was going to turn into, but decided to give it a shot and do an Advent series. And I burnt myself out in the Advent of 2020 because I was like, I can, this is easy peasy stuff. Like this is, this is first grade. I can come up with Mario lessons. I can come up with Dragon Ball Z reference. I can come up with all these different things and I'll come up with a, a daily devotional for Advent. And I'll, around like November 25th, I was like, oh, I think I got to actually start. And so I didn't start them until a couple days before Christ the King Sunday and just had to absolutely buckle down to do literally a devotional every single day of the work week. And it was very tiring, but... It did get us started with 20 nerdy sermons, the same thing that we're kind of doing today, but just a little bit. It's it's expanded upon, it's evolved, but in its infancy, we did 20 in our first month, which is just an absurd amount of sermons to write over the course of just a couple of weeks. But originally they were going to be like one or two minutes long, and then they turned into these things that were like eight to 10 minutes long, and now they're about 15 minutes in length. And so the truth that we discovered was that these these stories have so much richness and so much to tell that we just had to keep exploring them. And so after our Advent series wrapped up, we were kind of exploring the, the overlap. We thought we can't end here. We got to keep exploring these possibilities. And so while that first month was more on things from the like past, now we're doing one that's very topical, very with the current trending anime and games and whatever's currently coming out. But that's how we're exploring the connection between faith and fandom. And that's kind of what defines us to me as a nerd church is that we're creating this. It's not totally evergreen, but it's also pretty evergreen content that people are going to be watching and consuming these anime and games perpetually. And they're going to be able to come back to these nerdy sermons that we've put together and say, well, it's been a couple of years. I wonder what Pokemon Arceus does have to do with, with my faith. Is there anything that I can learn or anything I can work through with my youth group or anything that I can talk about these things together and it allows for this possibility to continue happening. I think that's the same thing that Hector Murai, I mentioned his name earlier, but if you've never checked out his awesome devotional series, I think it's seven volumes long now. It might even be eight volumes long, but he just has dozens upon dozens of nerdy devotionals that he's put together. And he's not the only one. I'm I'm reading one right now that's an anime-based one. There are always new devotional books coming out there. Checkpoint has talked about putting out our own devotional kind of guided Bible studies from them as well. So I think the 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 concept is there and people are doing it. People are discovering this connection and are finding ways that they're able to share it with one another. So with that, let's think more into the lines of, all right, so we're, we're, we're a bunch of nerds. We're a bunch of people who are fanatic about something and we're taking these things that we're fans of and we're connecting them to our faith. But it's not just the the content right it's not just what we're consuming it's not simply this kind of consumerist mentality of wanting to consume consume twitch streams consume nerdy sermons consume devotionals whatever word you want to put in there it's not just that it doesn't stop there but instead a nerd church does imply the church part so now that we've kind of explored what makes it nerd church the nerd part what makes it a nerd church to y'all what do you think that what do you think it is that defines a church gathering for us. That's something that you may or may not be able to answer because that's the trick is that this is something that we're constantly being pushed back upon at Checkpoint is like, what does make us a church? And for those of you that are outside of the kind of circle of Checkpoint Church listening to this podcast, we don't have a worship service. Not currently, at least not as of the time of this podcast releasing. We've talked about it here and there. We've talked about what it looks like to have a worship service. And should we, would we have music? Would it be on Discord? Would it be live stream? But what would we do? And there are other nerd churches out there that do have worship services, but we don't have that. 
And so a lot of our naysayers kind of say, well, you don't have worship service. You're not a church. You're a checkpoint community. I would push back on that. And I think that our level two people probably would as well. So to you guys, since we don't have a worship service, what is it about checkpoint in particular that makes it worthy of the title? Just a small question. Easy question. Easy softball. Just little stuff. It's an interesting question. I mean, it's interesting that that's like the naysayer response is you're just a community because I'm like, well, what is church most of the time? Like right. it's it's a worship service for an hour, hour and a half a week. What is it the other hundreds of hours of the week that you're not doing worship? And it's it's community. It's community with the people in your church, in your small groups, in your committees, in your service groups. So you're doing a softball league. Like those are all the things that churches are outside of Sunday morning or Sunday evening or Saturday evening or whenever you're having your church service. And even if you look at what do you do in a church service, you're, there's there's music, there's reflection, there's prayer, there's scripture, there's there's rituals of sorts, like things that we say. And I mean, we we kind of have most of. That. I mean, I minus maybe the music, but like the nerdy sermons are our message and the chat is our call and response we have our our the 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 thing at the, at the end of every stream and every youtube video that's kind of our our benediction we do scripture we have conversation and discord in twitch chat on youtube comments like we're doing all we're doing all the things that a church does we're just doing it like maybe asynchronously we're like we're not doing it in physical space together at the same time but that's actually really been a, a blessing and i don't want to jump the gun to like other stuff we might talk about but that's been really great is i don't have to be in north carolina to be a part of checkpoint i'm in up, up in new jersey and i'm just as much a part of this church as anybody from north carolina or ohio or arizona or london or wherever a lot of our people are from all over the place and we all get to be in Christian community together and also get to share a lot of experiences that wouldn't happen if we had to be in person. I think it's a really great part of it. I think that's what makes it church is that connection, that community aspect. Like it wouldn't be church without that in my mind. I think it's a, it's a pursuit of authenticity. So a lot of people, I remember whenever, so I'm, I'm from North Carolina, but I mean, they're, they're a pretty big deal pretty much globally, but Elevation Church, Stephen Furtick, I remember whenever he first came to Charlotte and I remember the very first days of like Elevation really popping off. And we were at a church plant that was very contemporary and was like radically edgy for the early 2000s of, I can't believe you have a basketball goal in the Catholic Sanctuary. I'm like, what are you talking about? How dare you do that? And so we were very edgy and then Elevation came around and it was super edgy. Right. And I remember there was this change in verbiage where all of a sudden I started hearing worship services change from worship service to worship experience that people started saying, oh, well, if it's an experience, then it's just like ephemeral. It happens and it leaves and it loses that authentic feel of the traditional church. And so that was the skepticism at the beginning of Elevation and of this kind of like really big mega church thing is that they, they called it worship experience. And then we kind of fell off of that and that kind of normalized and became a thing that people were used to and comfortable with. But I think now we're entering into this digital age where people aren't kind of batting an eye at the phrase worship experience anymore, but they are batting an eye at the phrase digital church or online church or online experience, right? I've even heard people that are from a traditional background talk about making their online worship more of an experience. So now we've come full circle where the people that used to bat, you know, say this is not okay for it to be called an experience are now the people calling it an experience themselves. And so it could just be that we're at the beginning of an evolutionary cycle. And with that always comes baggage and, and doubt and skepticism, which is probably fine and probably healthy to have that skepticism because it'll keep us kind of held to the fire. But I think that's what I've found is like, there is this sense of authenticity that's not happening. Since people aren't in it themselves, they assume it's not authentic. But kind of like you were just describing, it is authentic. It's just happening asynchronously. It's just happening in different times. We're doing the same things, or at least we're doing echoes of the same thing, just in a different way that we're familiar with. And so I think that's where we've we've gotten off track is that a lot of people see what Checkpoint is doing or what other online churches are doing. And they say, well, that's not the same thing I'm doing. But the truth is, is it is. It is authentic. It is what you're doing. It's just a continued version of that thing.
I mean, yeah, you guys put it pretty spot on. Don't really have a whole lot to add, but I think the idea that just because we exist solely online and we don't have a worship service, like the idea that that, that makes us automatically not a church is ridiculous. I mean, we got literally everything else and then some. It is tricky. One of the things that I like to tell people is, so I have a real heart for the rural church. I have a real heart for the, 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 the church that's just in your backyard kind of thing. I mean, I grew up in very rural North Carolina and we wound up moving to that big contemporary church, but even that big contemporary church was still very rural North Carolina. Like we had one high school in our County. And so we were just, a, we were a small little town figuring things out here and there. Uh, and so I have a lot of, I have a lot of love. I have a lot of nostalgia. I don't have a lot of love for hymns, unfortunately, even though I think they're good. I just didn't grow up with them. And so I'll like, I'll sing a hymn and I'll be like, I guess this is fine, but I don't know the words. Whereas I'm more familiar with the contemporary movement and that kind of stuff. But it is interesting to think of as the pastor of this community, as someone that has been able to influence the initial foundation of Checkpoint, everything that I did was built off of what I knew, Right. Like we, we believe in, we're, so we're Methodists. Checkpoint Church is a Methodist church plant. And so we believe in this quadrilateral approach and a huge part of that quadrilateral approach to churches and church planning and worship gathering is tradition. And we have a rich tradition that we're drawing from. We have things that we pull from. Whenever we first implemented our prayer request channel in our Discord, the whole reason that we did that is because people wanted a place to pray I didn't feel like it was right to have that in the middle of a Twitch. I'm sure it would be fine to do that during a stream. I'm sure there are people that do and they do it well, but it didn't feel authentic to me. And so instead I grew up in a very high church prayer experience where they would have people that would go off to a prayer room and they wouldn't be prayed over by a priest or anything like that. They wouldn't talk to the father and knock on the door and all that stuff. But instead they would go to a prayer room where they would be given the opportunity to either go into a private space and pray by themselves, or there would be like the coloring books where they'd be able to really do intentional alone time with God and to pray in a space where they're able to feel the creativity of the spirit in that moment, or where they're able to meet with somebody and sign up for the door. But that door to the church, I remember very well, was always open, literally 24 seven. And that was such a unique phenomenon to me because I was like, oh no, the church is locked. Church is open on Sundays and on Wednesday nights, but it's locked the rest of the time. But this was a door that was literally unlocked. You could go into this room anytime and you could experience prayer. You could give a prayer. You could offer a prayer. You could be given prayer for, especially if you signed up for a time or a prayer warrior or whatever you might call them at your church. And so that was a part of the reason we started a prayer request channel. And the way we did is because I wanted a 24-7 space where people could offer prayer. And that was a echo out of an experience that I had had in my former church. So everything is fed out of tradition. Some of our ideas are edgier than others. Some of our ideas are more innovative than others, but all of them at the end of the day probably could be linked back in some way, shape or form to the rich tradition that we all come from. And it's my wish that any level two people that become involved with kind of our worship planning or whatever that turns into, will consider that as we go forward. Like what, what should we bring with us? What should we allow to evolve within us and how can we continue to work them? And so I think that's, that's an interesting way of considering it. I think Perspectives was getting onto a great thing. So let's, let's continue on with where, where we are. At the beginning of this podcast, I was like, I was considering like, do we say who the level two people are and where they are? Like, should we say where they are? Because in my experience, I always assumed that everybody's from North Carolina because I'm from North Carolina. But it doesn't take long of poking around the uh, Checkpoint Church Discord and like looking at the React roles and seeing that, yeah, we're vastly East Coast, but we're not only East. Out of the, out of the 300 some people we have at the time of this recording, we have about 100 of them that have reacted to the React role that says where they're from. And uh, it is, it is, it's spread out. We're all over the place. We're certainly not limited in North Carolina. And I think that sometimes makes my conference and my my appointees, the bishop in my conference, a little uncomfy because they're kind of like, well, how do I how do I quantify somebody who's literally reaching everywhere? This is an intriguing thing that comes along with the boundaries of a nerd church. The more and more that we've discovered it, the more and more we've explored it, the other churches out there that are in existence, very few of them, if any, have a central location. So how do you think... Why do you think that is, first off? What, what do you think it is that drives this, this lack of location, this kind of neo-locivity? We're all over the place. What is that fed by? Why is this? Well, I think it's mostly due to the fact that we're on the internet and it's every, like everybody's on the internet. So you're going you're gonna to find more than just people from North Carolina and South Carolina. You're going to get, like we said, people from Arizona and from London. It's, right. It's the world wide web, right? We're all across yeah. the world. We're literally having exactly. a global reach. 
And as far as our platforms, like everywhere is on Twitch. Like there's, there's no, there's no country that I know of that's not present on Twitch, at least in some capacity. And so we're, we're having the possibility of whenever you stream, whoever's there, they're there. So there might be somebody that's watching at three o'clock in the morning. There may be somebody that's watching during their lunch break. And just depending on where in the world they are and where in the world you are and what time you're streaming, you're going to meet different people no matter what you do. You just can't avoid the possibility of that overlap. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a beautiful thing in a lot of ways. It's like when we talk about the connectional church or the global church, like it's, it's that you're getting a chance to interact with people from all different walks of life, all different traditions and experiences and stuff. And that's, what's really cool about it. I mean, we are at least as like the, the folks that are chiming in quite a bit, because we, we tend to have conversations about it. We're talking about the heat index in the Northeast and we have people in Arizona giving us heat over that. We're, we're need to toughen up a little bit in, in the heat. And then you've got people over in, in Europe who are going through their own heat wave saying, oh, you all don't even know what you're talking about. It's, it's, that's a little bit of poking fun at each other, but that's such an interesting dynamic to have. And it's not just that it's anything, any cultural touchstones are being viewed through so many different lenses, which is really cool. Yeah. I, I, I love that about it. And to your point, Nate. There's some folks who are more East Coast friendly times aren't always 100%. Like not everybody can always join or they're joining at weird hours. But then also there's times that are maybe not as as friendly to some folks on the East Coast. And that's like really great for folks who are in other time zones, like people who are on their lunch break when you're streaming in the evening or early in the morning. And that's really cool that they have a space that they can still connect with and, and get access to that. And it's not restricted by where are you from. So beyond the, like we've already been talking about, right? Like this, this worship experience, this feel that we're familiar with, but then also that we're, we're on the internet uh, and we're experiencing people asynchronously anyway, just because of the nature of the thing. But there's still, hey, you could go and watch Ludwig. You could go and watch the Game Grumps. You could go and watch PewDiePie. What is it that's making people say, Checkpoint Church? Like what, what, why, why do you think people come here despite location like what an interesting thing to consider like why do people choose a nerd church what is it that makes them defy location defy physicality and and choose to do these i mean a part of it is that like the, the beauty again uh, i know i'm kind of like hitting that that same note a bit here but you can do those other things too that's that's an interesting aspect of it. it's not you have to pick one or or the other and that's it you have to put all your your, your chips in one, one place. They can go watch Ludwig or Ninja or join one of the other nerdy ministries or gaming ministries that are on Twitch or YouTube or wherever, but that doesn't stop them from being a part of Checkpoint. And I think that's, you kind of touched on a little bit when you mentioned your bishop, how do you classify this? But a lot of us have home churches too, like where we go on maybe Sunday morning, but that doesn't stop us from being a part of the checkpoint community. And I guess that's the thing. It's sometimes hard maybe to wrap the head around a little bit. You might not go to, or most people wouldn't go to two or three different churches on a Sunday morning. They would have their church and they would just go to that one place. But here it's, there's this community that exists. It's that open door that you mentioned. It's there 24 seven. And it's not just the prayer room. It's, it's all of it. The whole ministry is there. Cause even when we're not live on Twitch, we're maybe gaming together in discord or we're all watching the same show and it's dropping and we're chatting through the spoiler tags to about what's going on and how we're reacting to stuff. And know, it's, there's something really, really great about that aspect of it, that we can be a part of these, the, this community, but also still be a part of other spaces. And, and it all kind of comes back in too. It's, it's been great to, to do that and also to be in connection with those groups in some ways too. I know, especially with the nerdy ministries, like it's not just, we're all at checkpoint and that's where we ride or die. It's a lot of people who are at checkpoint found us through one of these other groups that we raided on Twitch or where you, know, you did a, a, a charity stream with another group. And now they're like, Hey, I like what checkpoint's doing. I want to be part of that community. And now they're, there's, there's that stickiness. Now they're hanging out here and they're coming back again and again for the conversation, for the community. And it's really awesome. Yeah, I think the collaborative effect is a big thing. Obviously, with within the Methodist structure, so for those that may or may not be familiar, one of our kind of tenets of Methodism is, is the connection. We consider ourselves to be, some might use the word big tent, some might use the word umbrella, some might just use the word just connectional and just say that we are a connected denomination. We are a global denomination that really does see ourselves as being a part of a 
a grander thing beyond just we have churches that are a part of a district, districts that are part of a, a conference, conference that are a part of a general conference. Beyond that, we, we think that Checkpoint is another thing. Another example of this is something that we want to take that spirit of connection and bring it into the digital space. And as far as I know, Discord allows you to join like 200 different Discord servers, like up to 200 Discord servers. So as long as we don't have 201 nerd churches, as soon as we get 201, we got to tell them, you're in the wrong neighborhood, kid. We got to get out of here. And of course, I'm very much joking. What the truth is, everybody has to just make a second Discord account at that point. Then we got to have your A and your B account. We can keep going. But the reason I'm saying this is that I think that the connection is key and the collaborative effect is also key. I think that what is most important as we continue to figure out what it means to be a nerd church and what it means to be a church in general. I started, whenever I started Checkpoint, I learned that we had a lot that we could teach each other. So the church has a lot we can teach nerds, but the nerds have a whole lot they can teach us. And one of the big ones for me was actually a piece of advice that Derek White, who's been on the Nerds of Prey, who is the geek preacher online, he mentioned to me that his biggest piece of advice was to not allow any grognards in. And I had no idea what in the world he was talking about. Whenever he said that word to me, I was like, well, I guess I need to give him my nerd card because clearly I'm not nerdy enough. And some of you may be screaming at the podcast saying, we know what a grognard is. And others of you may be being like, well, that's a weird word. Well, you're about to learn what a grognard is. A essentially, a grognard is a gatekeeper. A grognard is somebody that believes you can only use first edition, right? You can only use the very beginning of Dungeons and Dragons. You can only use that very first, the original Dungeons and Dragons, and it better be the one that Gary Gygax hand wrote on himself, right? Or else you can't possibly play the game. Nobody plays 5e. Nobody plays any of the other editions. And that's simply nonsense, of course. But that is something that is such a reality in the gaming culture that it led to a whole division and destruction within from the tabletop role-playing community. So in the same vein, that was a piece of advice given to me from somebody in the TTRPG community is to don't allow grognards to happen. Don't allow them to form. If you start to discover them, either work it out, talk to them, address it, whatever. If you want to go with the biblical method of confront them, and if they don't listen, confront them with a brother or sister. And if they don't listen, confront them with two. If they don't, bring them before the church. And if not, then dust off your shoes, right? Whatever it looks like, we got to figure out some way to make sure that that stops. And the more popular term would be gatekeeping. And so that has been something that's been incredibly important to me from day one is with a, with a church plan in particular, I was warned by my peers that you're going to have people that are going to say, this is our turf in the church planning world. They're going to say, you're trying to steal from my flock. You're, you're trying to steal from my church. And that was one of the things that sometimes I discovered it to be true. More often than not, people were so confused by what I was doing in general that they weren't afraid of us. But that's something that I've taken with me into the online communities with Love Thy Nerd, with God Squad, with Lux Digital, with fill in the blank of this digital community here or there, I have taken with me the idea that I have a choice anytime I make a relationship. I can either choose to gatekeep this relationship, I can choose to act like I'm big and bad and that Checkpoint is the be all end all, or I, as the kind of figurehead of Checkpoint, can exhibit a sense of humility that hopefully our level two members can, can see and say, oh, that's how we're going to treat this thing. And they can kind of put down their weapons and instead start to develop relationships with these other communities. And then hopefully other communities will figure it out as well and, and start to pick up on, hey, this, this Checkpoint Church community is really cool and they're really collaborative. We should do that same thing. And then we have a chance in this digital world to hopefully create something new and see a more fruitful experience of church than we even have currently in our physical iteration. So no gatekeeping allowed. What, what do y'all think of whenever you think of that concept? Obviously I'm, I'm speaking purely on a church to church basis, but how do you think Checkpoint avoids gatekeeping either in-house, like in our, in our discord or on Twitch or personally, or what, what, what steps do you have to kind of avoid gatekeeping as a, as a means of being a Christian nerd? I think it's mostly done just through, it's just like on the Discord, we have a channel for like every, every subject that has ever existed. Like, it's just, for no, like, no matter what part of something that you're into, there's, there's a spot for you. I know a lot of people get a little intimidated when they jump on Discord because of all the channels, but that's what makes it so easy to like slide in and out of these different conversations. And there's spaces for all of it, but every space is welcoming in its own way. Like. We've created channels for things where people who are clearly super passionate about them, 
but it's never, well, this is my channel and I'm in charge of the conversation. Like when somebody jumps in and, and chats along, it's yeah. Oh my gosh. Somebody else is into this too. This is awesome. Let's talk. Whatever you want to talk about, let's talk. I feel like that happens in pretty much all of those like niche kind of areas of nerddom that we have is we, we have that openness to like, just, oh, there's somebody else who's into this and wants to talk about it and reflect on it or just chat about the latest thing going on there. It's, it's a really neat feature of the community that we, we allow for that. And that goes for like the religious stuff too, not just the nerdy stuff. Like we've got people who are pastors and pastors in training, and we've got people who are connected to people in ministry, people who are just never been involved in a church whatsoever. And nobody's not allowed to speak up and share their thoughts. You can, if you want to want to share, people are willing to hear and reflect back and talk about it, which is really cool. Not often you get that experience in a church in general, let alone a, an online forum too. A lot of times it devolves into, I know more than you and keep out of my space. And here it just doesn't feel that way. It's yeah, you want to talk? Let's talk. Let's do it. Well, and it's an interesting thing too of like, we have a, so we have a whole space on the Discord, one of our plethora of channels, as y'all have mentioned, where the whole purpose of that channel is to ask a question. And that does two things to me like that. And it, and, it, and it exemplifies what I'm getting at here with how we avoid gatekeeping is it exemplifies first off that there is a space for questions. And that implies that there is a space for answers. <laughs> and so people don't read a question where there isn't one, right? Typically maybe, maybe that I'm not saying that can't happen, but since there is a place where people can literally ask for a question, that at least says, this is a spot specially designated for you, Mr. Professional, right? Like you aren't just needed everywhere. We don't need you to actually in every channel that we have, but instead this is a channel where you're invited to actually, and what a, what a gift that is to offer to that person who has that knowledge to give, assuming that they do. The other thing is that I think that it expresses a real sense of humility on behalf of the question asker, at least to me personally, like I've been the person in the room sometimes that, that feels like I'm the only person asking questions. And I'm like, does, does no one else have questions here? Or is it just that I'm more comfortable asking them out of a sense of genuine humility? Like I acknowledge that I don't know everything. And so I want to know more. So I ask questions. And so we're kind of teaching people through this act of digital communication that you're allowed to ask questions, that there, there are places where you're allowed to answer those questions. And sometimes people, they kind of just let your information go in one ear out the other or in one eye and out the other. That doesn't work quite as well for reading, but it, it's, there's something to this message of how we connect and what we offer to each other and when we choose to offer and when we choose to take and doing that as a, as a means of, of growth and of conversation. And so that's a way, that's one particular way that, that comes up to mind of like how we try to avoid gatekeeping in these spaces is like keeping a very gentle heart and a humble heart, but also creating the opportunity for those conversations to take place rather than just waiting for the bomb to drop on insert channel. So I think that's, I think that's one of our things that we really consider a special thing about the discord. And I had to make the choice very early on of like, when and where am I going to step in? as a, as a pastor in the community, like as, as the, as the one who is supposed to be the resident theologian, whether I think of myself as that way or not, but some people expect that of a pastor. I, I've, I've served enough, enough churches and been a part of enough churches to know that sometimes the pastor is seen as a chief executive theologian who knows all and will say all, will answer every question you have or correct you when you're wrong. And that is not what I see my role as being in 99% of our channels. There are channels where I will answer questions. There are channels where I will step in. There are moments where I will step in. But for the most part, it doesn't matter if you're spouting abject heresy on the channel. I really don't care as long as you're having a good conversation that is humble, doing good and doing no harm. So as long as you're not harming somebody with your heresy, I'll let you explore it, which may be a risky thing to say, but... It's the truth of the matter. It's it's the loving way of, of, of exploring these things, letting them be and addressing them when needed and having the knowledge to know when to speak up or when to let people do that work of discovery and doubt. Um, and that those are helpful things for people to do sometimes. And that if you step in too soon, you might squelch the offer. So that's a couple of ways that we're, that we're making sure that we maintain a place where grognards cannot form. And where hopefully people know, never are able to feel unwelcome. 
I think where we where we have an interesting thing coming. I was having a really interesting conversation. I don't think it'll be out by the time that this podcast comes out, but I'll just say insert random nerd community leader here that I'm interviewing for Nerds of Prey. And I was talking to them and they expressed concern for when they reach more than 35 because they were currently at around 35 viewers. They'd had streams where they'd had 12. They'd had streams where they had two. They had streams where they'd had 35. And then they'd have the occasional raid where they got up to the 60 or 70 partner range. And they said, it is so much less fun when you got 70. They're like, you can't maintain a relationship with 70 people at once. You can't connect in the chat with that many people at once. And so that is my big concern at this point for the future of Checkpoint. The future of that thing is we're not shooting for that on Twitch. We're not shooting for partner levels by any means, but where we are shooting for excellence is in our Discord. And so what happens when our Discord reaches the next level? We have too many people. Uh, is that a thing? Does that exist? Do we split off into small groups? Do we do house church model? Do we need to have more help here and there? That's one of the things that is like my burgeoning question. Something that's on the, on the cusp of my brain of wondering, like, we have 300 people in the discord today. If all 300 of them started being active on a daily basis, I don't know what I would do. I I'm, I'm very happy with our 80 something that log in every day. That's like a perfectly manageable number. Any more than that, I'm gonna start to have a panic attack. So that's one of my things of what, what does it look like for the future of the nerd church? So that's the final question before we take a break and move into our end games. What do you think is the future of the nerd church? If you had to wax poetic on that, it can be about checkpoint specifically, or it could just be about this new up and coming model of online church. What do you think the future looks like? You, you raised an interesting point there, Nate, about what happens when it grows, because I think there's a, there is an intimacy in having smaller communities and groups and being able to sort of form those deeper relationships. But I think what is interesting about the, like the novelty of the online space right now, that it is something new in a lot of ways for the church to be doing this is that when you have a, a big church like a physical church, you, you might have different groups of people who sort of like have their close connections, but that there's still some, at least in a healthier church, there's some good connection between groups. You have people who might move between the groups or groups that like still have that wider connection. And I think that that'll be interesting to see evolve in these online spaces where, well, chat is one big stream with everybody talking at once. That would be like trying to have 10 small groups in a social hall at the same time with everybody holding a mic. So like something like that might not scale as well, but then there's like a lot of ways where, you know, using some of the features of these technologies, you know, we don't currently do anything in this space and, and I don't know exactly where it's going, but like the idea of metaverse VR spaces where like people can gather and like maybe have some of those more direct connections or move in a space where they can jump from conversation to conversation using like the discord where we have different spaces for different conversations where you can move and you can be talking in three different places at once, theoretically, and each one with different people and different topics. And the, the growth of these church spaces is going to be, I think, I know I'm maybe stealing like an idea that you've, you've put out there a few times before, Nate, but like the idea of just these different ministry communities bi being built and, and kind of coming into their own to serve different groups of people and, but being in connection with each other, like still working together towards a bigger mission and working with each other, it'll figure things out, but still allowing for those different communities to form around a particular perspective or a particular interest or focus. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, <laughs> it's going to be an interesting next several years as we start to see, you know, this church started during the COVID-19 pandemic and a lot of people were still figuring out what, like, how to, how to do online church was like a big question. And that's right where this church started and so many other ministries are just starting. And it's, it's, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of years ahead of it, I think, to, to figure that out, to, to adapt as the technology changes and to, to figure out like where, where the people are and then making sure that there's space there for them to, to be in that community together and not just be on an island. Yeah, I think that that's an exciting vision of, of where we're headed. I think that depending on where the church goes, right? That's a big, that's a big topic of, of consideration as well. Is what, what do we do? Where do we go? Where are we going? This situation has kind of changed everything for a lot of people and then for others. 
it's changed absolutely nothing. So what does it look like as we continue moving forward, as, as different denominations continue to grow and expand, and some continue to figure out what the future looks like for them as well? We've got an interesting future ahead of us, but I'm, I'm certainly excited. One of the things that keeps getting echoed over on the Nerds of Pray podcast is just this connectionalism and is this spirit of collaboration that we're currently seeing in digital spaces. And I look forward to seeing how that future continues to grow. So with that, folks, we're going to wrap up our conversation on what is a nerd church. I'm going to throw us to a quick break. And when we come back, find out the top three games that anyone can and should play. And then also play our round of Nerd of the Month. We'll be right back to the Level 2 podcast. We are so glad to have you back with us. We're going to wrap up this show with a couple of fun games here with Perspectus and Splash Force. The first one is less of a game and more of just kind of a discussion of the things that we're bringing to the table. So I presented both of them with the prompt of a top three blank. So we're going to be presenting top three blanks on each of these. If you ever want to look at mine, I'll post mine over on my backlog, which you can find down in the description down below. If either of them would like to link their backlog, they can feel free and we'll, we'll make sure that that happens. But the top three games that anyone can and should play. That was the prompt that I gave them. And what I want us to do is the first thing I want us to do is to give our number three option. Are they ranked? That's the question. Did you rank yours personally, everybody? Or did you just give three? I think I just, I didn't put it in like the discord or anything, but I just have, I don't have, I have three. I don't have them in a specific order. No specific order for splash. Same. What about you, Perry? Same. No specific uh, order. They're, they're kind of just three very different games. <laughs> okay. Well, I will, we'll just do, we'll do one at a time and see how they go so one person at a time that is we'll do one person's three games the next person's three games and the last person's three games we'll start with splash splash Wars, what were your what were your three games that anyone can and should play my three are undertale breath of the wild and we and we sports we sports oh, i love that that's such a good pick so we obviously have some overlap, I'm sure, that we'll talk about whenever we get to my three. But I'm super intrigued by Breath of the Wild. So you think Breath of the, is 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 Breath of the Wild very like accessible in your in your thought? Is it something that anybody could play? I think, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there's a. I was like, again, this is gonna make you guys feel really old, but I was like six when I played that game for the first time. Right. Well, uh, I mean, that's yeah, pretty much my experience like, with Ocarina of Time. Like, I played that whenever I was in elementary school. You know, I played that very, yeah, yeah, very I think, I, I, think I was more like 10, but it, my brother was six when he played it for the first time, and he beat it faster than I did. I definitely wasn't very good at it. I wasn't very good at Ocarina of Time. I remember thinking I was good at Ocarina of Time, but the truth is I would just make it to, like, Hyrule for the first time. I, I don't even remember how far I would get in games as a kid. I just remember playing them. And I thought I was like the best at these games. And then I, I don't know. I think I like Tony Hawk is one of those games where it's, I know I played pro skater three and I know that I played it a lot, but I, I don't know how far I ever got. I think I just kept doing like one random mission over and over and over again and thought I was really good at games. Like the first time I remember actually beating Sonic Adventure 2 was like I was a teenager. But I used to think I played it all the time as a kid. So it is really weird how we we have these games we play really young. But I, I am intrigued by like who who is who can and should. Wii Sports is a great answer. I, I'm one of them is, is an obvious one, but yeah, Breath of the Wild. I'm I'm skeptical and Wii Sports is genius. Perspectus, what were your three? Before that, I just wanted to weigh in on the Breath of the Wild thing. I just wanted yes, to say please weigh in. There was a, a YouTube channel, I think it's Rasputin is the name of it. And he does this series where he has his girlfriend who doesn't really play games, or maybe it's his wife, but they she doesn't really play games, and he has her play these games. And then he comments over it and posts to the channel, posts them to his YouTube channel. And he had her play Breath of the Wild, and she struggled with it a bit at first, but like she did pick it up pretty quickly as somebody who doesn't really like like really involved games. Like she, I, I remember that being one of the first ones where she was like really positively responsive to it and i i do think that there's something about that game that is very freeing because it is this like open world and there's a lot of ways to approach it which can be intimidating but it also means that you can play it kind of however you want like you don't have to play the main story you can just have fun like cooking and like collecting stuff and that that can be a way to enjoy that game too so i think that's a really great answer splash yeah as long as you don't run into a lionel that's really the trick as long as you as long as you <laughs> yeah. stay in safe zones in breath of the wild you're you're pretty safe. You can figure things out. You can beat a moblin. Just just don't freak out too much and lose everything. Don't meet a Lionel. Don't go to the desert. Nope. <laughs> right Neither one of those things are wise at the beginning. When yeah. I yeah, when I played through that for that game for the first time, I never I didn't even know the Lionels existed. Like I never saw one. Wow. Oh, they're terrifying. Wow. 
They're yeah. very intimidating. So three games. Yeah, I think like Splash, I don't really have a rank. Mine kind of were like three games that I thought would be interesting for people to play and some that maybe people never played. But I remember asking in chat when you first posed the question, I, I think I jokingly mentioned Spider Solitaire because that was something my grandmother played a lot of. But to that end, one of the games that like jumps to mind first is Minesweeper. Like, I think everybody should play Minesweeper. Because it's that game that everybody knows is on there and probably has clicked on it if they had a Windows computer at some point and was like, I don't know how to play this, I'm done. Because there's like, there's no instructions when you not open it. It's just kind of like throws you into it. But it is a really interesting game and it's it can be challenging and it can be a lot of fun. I mean, I I'm, I love puzzle games in general, but I think that's one of the first, probably one of the first games I ever played <laughs> was like a Minesweeper or maybe solitaire on there but those were definitely like good like introductions to it. it's a very like low barrier to entry you just kind of like go right in yeah i think the three um, games that like came pre-installed on every computer were like minesweeper solitaire and then i don't know if this was pre-installed or if this was just on my grandparents computer for some reason but there was the ski slope one i can't remember the name of it you guys know the one that i'm talking about with the bears and the yeti and you'd be like skiing down and what is it called whenever you do the the skiing thing? And there's like the flags. What are the flags called? That's the name of the game. I am not a nerd about skiing, so oh, I do not know the answer to your well, question. Whatever those are called, that's what it is. And it's that game. People are going to be screaming this at the podcast. They played it as well. But mm -hmm. I remembered that game was like my first horror experience. Because if you ever skied past a bear that was in the woods, they would chase you down the mountain. And they would just, or I think it was a bear. It might've been a Yeti again. I can't remember exactly, but that is like the, the quintessential experience for me as I went back and forth between those three games, not knowing how to play Minesweeper, killing Solitaire and having no idea how to play this, this ski slope game. So yeah, those are, those are my three that I think of whenever I think of those like quintessential computer games. And then Space Pinball, whenever I grew up a little bit. Oh um, yeah, Space Pinball. It's classic. That was that was the new game. That was like the hot and hot and hot item. That was like if you had that on that computer, you were like, man, how many sticks of RAM you got in there? Because this is nice. <laughs> All right. So your oh, first man. game, first game, Minesweeper. Minesweeper. Yeah. Second game. I know I at least have one person on Discord who will agree with me on this one. This one might be my controversial pick, but Super Mario RPG for the Super Nintendo. I think it's a game that's. I mean, to the point that Splash brought up. I think I was like maybe seven or eight when I first played that game, and for it being like a pretty involved role-playing game it was super accessible i mean one because i think everybody even if you've never played games everybody knows who mario is bowser and all that like it's part of just i guess cultural vernacular now but like it is a really really accessible but also deep game like you can play it very surface level and get through the whole game but you can also go deep on it and there's a lot to it and, and like layers to it that you can really get into getting a good build of the right team for the right bosses or right levels to, to play through with those characters and stuff. And I think that's a big element of it. That's a lot of fun. And it's also just a pretty major leap in gaming. It was like they had to like install a special chip on the Super Nintendo cartridges to get it to render all those like 3D graphics. So it's like pretty, pretty ahead of its time in a lot of ways, but still holds up. So that one, I definitely think anybody should play. It's just also just a really good game. Yeah. I, I mean, I've wanted to play that for a long time, but Nintendo refuses to sell it to me, so... <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I think the only way to play it right now is you have to get that Super Nintendo Classic system. I think otherwise you're kind of out of luck, Yeah, unfortunately. And even then, they don't sell those anymore, so... That's true, yeah, they stopped selling those. Yeah, they, dis they discontinued those, so you... Gotta find really them got a retro option. shop, something like that. Some kind of used game store or something will probably still have them, but it's going to be harder to find, especially with collectors out yeah. there for those kind of items. And my third game is another, it's going to be another puzzle <laughs> because that's me. And it's actually a series of games, but it's the Rusty Lake games. They're, I, I know them from playing them on mobile. Uh, I played them on my phone. I know that they also do them on tablets and they have like PC version. And I think they have a console version maybe too. But I think what was a lot of fun about those games is that it was this, I mean, I mean, growing up, like, cell phones were not, like, you could maybe, you were lucky you got a phone with Snake on it, but that was about the extent of gaming on phones when I was growing up. I was in college when the iPhone came out, so the idea of gaming on a phone wasn't really in the mind at the time, but, like, 
I remember playing Rusty Lake and being like, oh my gosh, like you can game on a phone. This is a gaming device. This is this is a game in a, in a more complete way than I think a lot of what I saw even in early iPhone and Android games. I was like, yeah, this is kind of like a flash game. It doesn't feel like a real video game. It feels like just a thing to pass the time. But those games actually made you really think. And not that there's anything wrong with the more casual games. I think they're a lot of fun. And I, I mean, I was playing lawn, the lawnmower. It's not called Lawnmower Simulator, but it was essentially like mowing lawns mobile game where you just swipe and mow a lawn. Mm -hmm. I, I will admit my shame that I played way too many hours of that. But that to me was the first one where I was like, wow, this is like a full on game. And it, it, it does test your, your mind a little bit. It's sort of like, I think what those brain games that are, always get advertised on like YouTube and stuff, but it was actually like a full story. And like you play each chapter and each chapter builds upon the story of the last chapter and you can kind of follow it through. It's like episodic, but also you could just play one and just do it for the puzzles and be done with it. So it was like accessible from a lot of different angles. And I feel like just deep, like breaking down the idea that like mobile gaming isn't real gaming which is sort of that gatekeeping thing some people do yes it is and there's some really really thoughtful and like innovative stuff in there and I, I thought that was like a really great again like accessible for a lot of different audiences i love the escape the room games those will always be my favorite those point and click style i grew up on those and played a lot of them for free on Newgrounds because i was too broke to afford afford full 60 dollars triple a games and so i played a lot of fan games on flash and i yeah i think that's a great a great thought and I think it'd be a game that's super accessible as well. My three, my obvious one is the same as Splash. Undertale has got to be my number one. That's why I asked if it was ranked because that's my for sure number one game that everyone can and should play. I also thought about puzzles and thought that a good puzzle game, at first I was like, a crossword. Crossword is a great puzzle. And it's not really a video game necessarily, but it is a game and certainly a very popular game to play. But then I decided on a game that I think is better than crossword. That is a current kind of trending one. And it is not words and uh, not words. If you are not familiar, it's a much smaller version of, of a crossword and not really with clues, but instead it's more with letters and it's, it's, it's a really solid way of building a game and building them together. It's kind of like crossword meets Sudoku, which is pretty interesting and pretty fun. And I would recommend anybody check that out. And then I wish I thought of Wii sports, but I didn't. And so I'm not going to pretend that I did. But I think Wii Sports is a better answer than my final answer. But my third one is my party game, and it is Mario Kart. Probably Mario Kart 8 in particular, just because I think that it kind of is the quintessential Mario Kart experience. And there's a reason they keep making it again and again, and that is because it, it does exactly what it needs to do, and it's very fun and very playable. So yeah, those are my three entries. They're Undertale, Not Words, and Mario Kart. With that, we're going to move on to our last thing. This is going to be a game that we're going to wrap every show up with, and it is called Nerd of the Month. This is going to be a nerd character person somebody in the nerdy sphere they can be real they can be fictional they can be sentient or not regardless of what it is this is a lot of possibility here of random things that they can play it's kind of like the game guess who or 20 questions where we'll let each a level two member go back and forth and ask one question precisely you'll get one question and one guess per turn and we'll go back and forth so the first thing we got to do is flip a coin so in order to flip that coin, I will have, let's see, I went, I started with Perry, then I went to Splash, we're going to start with Perry now. Flip a coin, pick heads or tails. Tails. It was tails. All right, Perspectus, you get to ask a question and make a guess. Just so I remember, the, the game is, it's, it's, a, it's a person, it's a nerd of the month, right? It is a nerd of the month, it is a character. A character, oh, okay. All right. All right, well, I think my first question will be, are they a human? Yes, they are a human. You can Samus take a guess Aaron. or you can pass, I was going to say. Samus Aaron. It is not Samus. All right, Splash. All right. Are they from a video game? Yes, they are from a video game. All right, I'll pass. Pass. All right. Yeah. Are they from a game that was made in the last 10 years? Yes, they're from a game that was made in the last 10 years. I'm going to pass this one. All right, back to Splash. Was it a character created by Nintendo? Yes, it was a character created by okay. Nintendo. I'm going to pass. All right. Are they a playable character in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate? Yes. Wa Wario. It is not Wario. Was the character created in the past ten years? Oh no. Okay. That, that's what that's what I thought. Alright, I'll pass. Do they in Smash, do they do they hold a weapon? Can they hold a weapon? By default, do they hold a weapon? Oh no. That's tricky. <laughs> no, they do not by default hold a weapon. Okay. There's a couple that do. That's why I had to double check. Yeah, yeah. Princess Daisy. Nope. Not Princess Daisy. 
Are they from the Mario series? They are from the Mario series. Okay. Is it Yoshi? It is not Yoshi. They're human. That's right. They're human. Okay. So we gotta... Oh, wait. Yeah. Hmm. Good, good question here. Are they male? They are male. Luigi? It is Luigi. Ding, ding, ding. Perspectives got it. That's in the clap. Shouts in the chat clap for, for Luigi being our first one. Luigi's my favorite of the Mario Brothers, so I had to go with Luigi for our very first Nerd of the Month. So come back every single month and find out who the next Nerd of the Month is and see which level two member gets it. This time our winner is Perspectus. So with that, we're going to we're gonna close out this time with our final shout outs. If you have anything you want to shout out, feel free to do that now. And we'll start with Perry since Perry won the round. Good question. Yeah, there's this great little community starting up online called Checkpoint Church. You should check them out. Very uh, yeah, CheckpointChurch.com, streaming on Twitch.tv every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and every other Friday with 30 sermons dropping on Sundays. You must have heard that somewhere before. You must have heard it like a million either. times said by somebody somewhere. Yeah. Something about the, the NRSVUE. It's my favorite yep. translation. But, uh, I prefer I translation. It's what's going to be on the screen. If you, want to, you prefer, feel free to use that one instead. Yeah. All right, Splash, any shout outs or anything you want to drop? Follow me on Twitter at Slash Force Gaming, and I think we'll drop a link wherever we're posting this too. So, for sure. That All right, not, well, we're gonna we're gonna not be there. Yeah, it'll be there somewhere. <laughs> with that, this has been the Level Two Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll be sure to tune in each month with us with us as we tackle these questions together. If you have any questions that you might want to ask, feel free to drop them over in the Discord, and we will consider answering them over on this Level Two Podcast. With that, Splash, take it away. God loves you. We love you. You matter. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Level 2 Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and will let us know what you think of the show and your podcast app with a five-star rating. Bye-bye.